Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people on whose lands this podcast is created today. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and recognise the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. Today on Work With Purpose, we turn the tables. My fellow co-host, Dr Gordon DeBrower, is this time going to be behind the microphone as he answers questions from Rachel O'Connor, who is an Assistant Secretary at the Department of Education, Skills and Employment. And the topic is all about the importance of strategic thinking in a crisis. Now, Gordon DeBrower has a fantastic career and has had a fantastic career in the Australian Public Service. He was the Secretary of the Department of Environment from 2013 to 2017 and was also Associate Secretary at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. He's played key roles in the development of Australia's $42 billion economic stimulus package following the global financial crisis. He gave policy uh, advice to the Prime Minister on domestic policy and G20 matters. He's held senior roles in Treasury and at the Reserve Bank, and he's currently an honorary professor and Distinguished Policy Fellow at the Australian National University. It's a great conversation between Rachel and Dr Gordon DeBrower, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, Gordon, thank you for taking the time out of what's no doubt been a busy schedule for you to um, meet and have this conversation today. Um, It feels very topical to be talking about strategic thinking during crisis. Thank you very much, Rachel, and I'm looking forward to it and great to meet you as well. Yeah, wonderful. Um, So, you know, it really strikes me as, you know, we're just in the midst of yet another crisis here in Australia. Um, Thankfully, today we have the sun shining, but, you know, there are many communities across Australia who are still confronting flood today. And that, of course, has been on the back of, um, of the pandemic and fires and other floods. So we've really witnessed an accumulative impact. So I think it's really timely today for us just to take this time to um, really explore how as public servants or former public servants, we can really draw from our own reserves and our own experiences and create that sense of, um, of certainty for our future. So I thought perhaps we could begin by, you know, sharing some of our own um, personal reflections around how it is we can really draw our own resilience during times like these, which we're facing um, unprecedented and often quite uncertain. So perhaps if you could share from that space, Gordon. So thanks very much, Rachel. I I would like to start by just saying how uh, tremendous the public servants or public services have been uh, through all these these crises of the past year or so. I'm pretty outstanding, actually, in delivery, different ways of working, uh, and focusing on people and outcomes and the flexibility. So, a re- really, uh, a real congratulations to the public service uh, on that. But it's really hard, and it, it it's hard, and it's really hard to sustain. I, I think what strikes me there are two bits. One is on the personal side, uh, and the other is on systems. Um, it's not selfish to look after yourself. It's actually necessary for you to do your job. 
And I, I think people feel that they, especially when things are bad, they've got to throw themselves in without reserve and just go for it. And that, that, that is important and that is part of it, but you can't do that at the expense of your own physical and mental health and your own family and relationships and your own wellbeing. So really taking stock of how do you look after yourself, it's not selfish. Yeah. You can't do your job unless you look after yourself and that means having time out and that, that, that sort of relaxation. So holidays are really important. Enjoying your weekend, really important. I think you're, you're spot on. It, it is hard uh, and yet it's even more important at times like these. Um, certainly for myself, I've been reflecting quite a bit on this. Mm. Um, during the, the peak of, of the pandemic and the fires last year, I was in the National Indigenous Australians Agency. And, you know, when confronted with how it is that we can best support um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the countries protect remote communities. You know, a lot of those challenges really at the forefront. And yet if we're not taking the time out to really make sure that we have our own reserves, then we're not able to, to do our jobs. No. So what I've found has been really important is the ways in which we can, you know, really take action and lead by example and how we have those conversations with our teams, with our colleagues and make sure we create safe spaces for people to be heard and to acknowledge the challenges we're facing and remembering that as public servants, we're still people first. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's that culture then of looking after people and people matter. So the public matters and the public are people, but public servants are people as well, as are, as are the politicians. And you have to look after yourself and looking after others. I, I think some of it's, I mean, taking control of your own life and I'm, you know, thinking about the hours you're going to work or mm -hmm. deliberately not looking at devices or having time out or enjoying your weekend, going away where you can. But it's also thinking about the systems that are in place. And I, I, I don't think public servants do this well. Yeah. Uh, they don't reflect on if something's going to happen for a while and we, the pandemic is not a, a transitory thing. It's, it's here. We've had it for a year. We're going to have it for, for, for more. In, in different forms, it's really asking are uh, your work systems and the allocation of responsibilities, even the number of staff, is that really fit for purpose for an ongoing set of difficulties and intense work? Um, I, I just reflect this is going back a long way, but uh, in the global financial crisis, I, I was working in PM&C and so we had things happening overnight internationally and we had things happening during the day in Australia we, 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 ran, we ran in the economics area two shifts. We basically went, went to shift work. Uh, so re, redesign your system. Yes. And I think many places haven't thought about what actually the resource allocation is, that they just make some of the people work longer and yes. that's, not, that's not sustainable. You can do that for a while but it's not sustainable for an ongoing crisis uh, and, and different work arrangements but really reflecting... And, and I think actually doing that with people, not, yes. not just imposing it on them, but really reflecting on is the system fit for purpose for what you have to face over the next 12 months? I think that's absolutely right. And we're absolutely at that point of looking to the future and making sure that we are positioning ourselves both collectively and individually as best as possible to be able to be prepared. And I think your point on 
Um, it's not just about doing more with less. Like, how do we ensure we've got the right people, the right numbers of people in the right places? Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, a big commentary that has received a lot of, you know, support has been the way in which the public service has been able to mobilise yeah. and really demonstrating our capacity to be agile. Uh, you know, part of what I'm considering myself for me personally and my teams is how do we support that going forward on a more ongoing basis when we have people who are already feeling quite overstretched, quite exhausted, where they feel like they've been very agile. Yeah. Um, so how we can create that sense of certainty for the future. Yep. It's uh, – uh, people are stressed and we're not starting off with a lot of reserve the, the tanks are actually low. Yes. Uh, so it, it even goes back to how do you work delegation, how do you work decision-making, how do you think about people's responsibilities and, frankly, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to empower people, yes. uh, to treat them like adults, let them do the job, have the governance in place uh, but let them uh, also identify where the risks are, manage the risks and engage on how to manage the risks but actually uh, empower them to do the job. I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's, you know, really important to always be remembering in our roles that, you know, we're there to work together as a collective and not yeah. one individual has the answer, but it's what we can come up with together yes. that is going to help us to identify different ways. Um, and certainly I've found from my own experience during different examples. Um, I spent about 10 years working in the Northern Territory and so a lot of the, um, you know, crises that we faced um, throughout were often on a real on-the-ground experience. And so there were many times that I know I felt really challenged in that space and I felt that the more that I could acknowledge um, my own fears that I was facing and have those open conversations with staff, the more that enabled others to share yes. and for us then to collectively feel heard and then, like, we could focus on what was the pathways forward. Did we need to draw in additional resources? Did we have the right people? Um, and was there a different way of going about it that would ensure that we're building that sense of trust and support working with community? Yep. There's uh, t t Teams are essential. Teams and, are uh, essential. Not, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no way around it. Yeah. Uh, individuals just acting by themselves, frankly, don't achieve very much. You achieve a, a huge amount more through teams, but that's right. Uh, absolutely. And I think that the other thing that's been really clear through the pandemic is the importance of, of our individual teams, but also how we're working as a collective right across the public service and with communities. Yeah. And that um, clearly is within the Australian government, but that importance of the relationships with our state and territory colleagues um, and with, you know, organisations representing communities and communities themselves. Yeah, it's probably one of the lessons of the crisis is just how important those relationships are. Probably the experience of the pandemic, as you're outlining, is certainly for the Commonwealth public servants, uh, just how valuable that relationship with state counterparts and territory counterparts has been. The real risk is that it's lost. And especially as we go back to, in a sense, more normal times and, and the normal budget and policy processes, that... You, you, people lose lose sight of those relationships. And I, I've always thought people can maintain a very professional relationship, represent your jurisdiction really well, but you need to be trusted by your counterparts 
And that sometimes means being able to have a conversation about really what the issues are that both jurisdictions are facing, acknowledging the different interests, uh, and also sometimes the different politics that's involved. But then where would, where would some of the solutions be uh, and probably some of the enduring solutions to the problems that both jurisdictions are trying to, to deal with? So le leaning in on relationships, I just think there's, if there's anything to take from this, you know, people matter so much and, and everything, everything the public service does is a people business, either the outcomes or yep. how you do your business. And those relationships are, are primary. So your relationships in the workplace with the public, but also with, with other jurisdictions. So I, I frankly couldn't agree more. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so much of those relationships are what we're doing in the lead up to. Um, you know, it always, it often has struck me that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to engage in the same way with many of the colleagues if I hadn't spent those times in advance building those relationships. And then absolutely how, because we've all come together so closely during this, how we maximise those relationships that have also been formed through yes. crisis. Yeah. I think that's going to be really key as we go forward um, and uh, what I'd be really interested in exploring a bit further with you is what some of your experiences of insights have been perhaps from some different crises that you've been involved in in the past yeah. and how when we're in the midst of crisis we can really maintain that strategic foresight. Yeah. So I, I think um, strategic foresight, frankly, it's a, it's a beautiful term, it's pretty fancy but in practice, I, I think what it really means is that if you're designing a particular thing or you're involved in a particular action or deliverable, uh, you really are thinking of what the next action is and the action after that. Mm -hmm. And you're thinking, so you're thinking of a series or a sequence of steps rather than just the step you're currently involved in. And I, I'll come and explain that yes. a bit more, but it's, 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 then being aware of uh, when you're thinking around what the next steps are of of why and really the whole the whole purpose of, of public policy is to improve and protect people's lives yes. or or the natural environment uh, the, the natural capital that we have how do you how do you maintain and protect that so it's trying to think of how do you take those actions back to specific outcomes and typically for public servants, those outcomes are defined in some form of legislation or some form of government policy uh, or some international arrangement. Uh, so you've got, you've got a base for the outcome uh, and you try to link where, where those actions may be to achieve that outcome and that you've really engaged very well with others around that. And, and, and primary there is of course the minister and the government uh, and often those outcomes uh, are defined by government. Mm -hmm. uh, so relationships all matter in thinking about the next steps. But uh, it, strat strategic, being strategic and having foresight is nothing more, frankly, than thinking around the series of steps that you want to achieve or it's necessary to achieve a particular outcome, often defined by others, and how do you go about doing that in terms of relationships, communication, persuasion and changes that, that are necessary to get you there. The example, uh, well, I've got a couple of examples, but uh, I'll just go back 10 years or so to the global financial mm -hmm. crisis. You know, I, I think um, we would have been headless chooks, frankly, if we'd just thought of 
a crisis as being the particular day or what was happening in a particular day. Uh, so financial markets collapse or, or, or firms are collapsing around you. Uh, where, where Foresight came into that was really thinking through if there's a financial collapse or financial problem, you have to get the tools and people to fix that. But that's also going to have economic consequences. Uh, it, it, it may cause a recession or slowdown. So how do you lean in early to limit the, the economic consequences? If it's going to have a macro consequence, maybe it's also going to have a trade or a cross-border consequence consequence. So how do you think around where those consequences are? If you're doing lots of spending, then that's going to have a budgetary and debt impact. Well, how sustainable is that in the longer term across particular features of economies? So do you need to lean in in a different way on some things? Uh, so it's really thinking of what starts off as a financial crisis quickly becomes a job and uh, economic crisis, it can be an international crisis and can lead to some other debt or other relationship consequences. So you want to see how things are going to unfold and yes. think around and how do you position for those future bits with actions now as well. So it's being aware of the context in which you're operating. I think it's the same for climate change. You know, I, I worked on climate change under Prime Ministers from Rudd and Gillard to Abbott and Turnbull. Uh, very different approaches to that. Now, we started off, I think, under the Rudd and Gillard governments with a view that you've got a, you've got a big problem and uh, you've got an externality, climate change. So it's a little bit, the economists, it's a bit like the Beyonce song. <laughs> if, uh, if you really want it, you've got to put a ring on it. Uh, for economists, it's um, if there's an externality, you've got to put a price on it. So it's, uh, that they tried that. In practice, that, that failed. Uh, now, for political reasons, but also the implementation was pretty hard. Um, and I, I won't go through all of that, but that, that system didn't work. If you needed then a different system or a different way of thinking around climate change, the, the approach that was taken under, under Abbott uh, in particular was think of it, and, and, and the Minister, Greg Hunt, was think about it discreetly. What's the series of actions over time that will address climate change? but also think around some of the economic and social consequences of it. So if you're thinking of uh, emissions reduction fund, that was meant to be a budget reward for carbon abatement or, or emissions abatement, then think around um, how do you put limits on, on particular areas? Are there elements of technology you can also lean into? So the safeguards mechanism was designed to be a way of trying to provide structure and limits or constraints on, on emissions. What's the sequence of different what's the sequence of different actions that can put you on a path to emissions reduction uh, over time um, and take account of technology preference changes uh, as well. So it's really again trying to unbundle a complicated or complex problem into digestible parts. How do you relate those different parts to each other? How, when you've got a particular action, can you encourage the progress to the next step? Uh, and some of that, I think, comes down to um, transparency around what's going on, public debate, having an, an informed public debate, talking about actually what the objectives are of a policy, which are typically outcomes. What more can we do to achieve and strengthen those outcomes? 
uh, and evaluation of the current steps. Are, are other things we're doing working and what, what could we do differently to help us? So all of those things are kind of parts of the toolkit for public policy of encouraging informed debate and evidence that puts you on a, on a sequence of steps to achieve a particular outcome. I think there's there's a lot there in those examples that you've shared that we could tease out in many different directions. I think that, you know, one of the key takeaways from me is how we take what can be quite complex challenges we're dealing with and break it down and create a sequencing of actions that also strikes me helps us to kind of come back into that place of certainty. So for our teams and, and those we're working with, if we're able to kind of draw the conversation to what are the actions we can take here? I really think it helps us to galvanise together and to come back to that place of what's our role and how do we support ourselves, each other and our government and communities to work, you know, in a sequential way through a crisis situation. Yeah, I, 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 I really agree. I um, Again, the, the skill and I think the discussion with public servants is that you may be working on a particular action uh, but don't see that action in isolation. Yes. Th think around what's necessary. And there may have seemed just be small things. You know, if you're talking about protection of a threatened species, uh, you know, are, are there things you can do regionally as well around that affect the ecosystem that help lock in some of that? Is there something broader down the next step as well? So it's not just not just being lost in the moment uh, yes. of delivery and getting that right, as important as that is, it's also having an eye to the sequence of, of actions and tying it back to outcomes because public policy ultimately is really all about people and the world in which they live. And if you can't relate it back to that, then there's something broken in that public policy. Absolutely. And I think that one of the learnings I've really gained has been um, if we've got that absolute clarity on what's the outcome and what's the kind of key uh, outcome that we're working towards that really helps us to maintain a sense of focus and yes. bring the collective together towards that outcome. Well, I think it's, it's focus, but it's also a, a really deep sense of purpose. Yes. Because, again, uh, purpose really matters. One of the distinguishing features of public servants is that they are driven by purpose and, frankly, our, our political process is driven by purpose, people who want to change the world. Uh, and it's in a difficult time where you're also stressed, it can be a source of motivation and uh, there's nothing, nothing stronger actually in wanting to do your job than actually the sense that you're achieving something and something that matters to people's lives. And that's, that's a very, very powerful thing. So it's kind of a going back to roots. It it's is. going back to origins in a way uh, is, is uh, in a crisis. Um. It is. Um, I definitely experienced that myself through the pandemic and I found, well, I nominated myself to go into what was our COVID coordination group within the Indigenous Affairs right. Agency. And, you know, coming from that place of, of deep purpose, I think really is what assisted me in that, in that time. And what I found was that we were brought together across the Australian government, working really closely with states and territories and with communities around that common concern of how do we ensure 
we keep our remote communities across Australia as safe as possible and protected from COVID. And it was a really um, unique uh, and great opportunity to be able to work so closely alongside particularly communities who were taking a really strong lead role Mm. and to be in that space within the public service of how do we listen to and really acknowledge and honour what we're hearing from communities and how they want to keep themselves safe. And um, for those of us who've been working in Indigenous affairs for some time, I think that one of our one of my key learnings has certainly been from that um, awareness of the importance of empowerment and the ways in which we can really deliver a strong message of the importance of working in partnership, even mm. in and probably most importantly through crises. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's a great example, frankly, and uh, it's a really meaningful example um, because it really does go to people's lives exactly. and, the, and the quality of their lives. So that's great. It's a, it's a fantastic example. Yeah. And, you know, as we're coming to this next stage, um, you know, nationally and globally, it was also really um, reassuring to me to hear just this week the announcement of the rollout of vaccinations across remote communities across Australia. So we're yeah. moving to that next stage. And, you know, part of what strikes me is that, you know, we wouldn't be where we're at today as a nation had we not had the various leaders and teams and people working together across the nation during early stages of the pandemic with that strategic foresight and that ability to look to what do we need to do immediately as well as what those next steps are so that we can prepare ourselves for what's coming next. Yeah, that's great. I I think it's wonderful. I mean, one of the things that came into play in this crisis that's really quite different from other crises or is just the impact of data and yes. how that can inform decision making. Uh, I, I've never seen any any previous example where we've just had so much almost real-time data across the economic and social health spectrum uh, and it's often not just sample data, it's really population data. So you know what's going on and it's not just a then presentation of anecdotes uh, or I heard this, what did you hear? It actually can be well informed by data. So that, that's one of the, one of the really nice, uh, one of the discoveries I think of the power of data and we do have it, digital technology has given us that and the public service has been well placed to do that uh, across those different data sets and also it's, it's brought Commonwealth and states and territories together as well because they've got different data and, and the private sector for that matter. I mean, really powerful examples of, of private sector data. So it's a uh, part of it's, you know, again, how do you motivate yourself going forward? Really got a lot of evidence now and there's a lot of analytics to be done around those different data sets of what works, what doesn't. And that's really exciting for government because it means they've also got a bit of agility. They can respond to evidence uh, and they're in control and empowered by that evidence rather than anecdote. Um, Absolutely. And it's the the data that's going to support us around the decisions for the future. 
Uh, I also sense at this time that it's really important for us to be taking the time out to reflect and, and look to some of the data to inform us in terms of what has worked, what hasn't worked, and how do we take that, uh, that information to inform us in, in the next steps we take from here. Yes. So I was just wondering perhaps in, in a bit of a, a closing if you could share what you've uh, learnt or some of your insights in terms of the importance of taking that time out to reflect. Yes, taking time out. Well, the my, my main lesson on that one is use your devices properly. And uh, my personal experience is don't use your smartphone uh, too much and certainly don't read long emails on your smartphone at night without your glasses because you make terrible mistakes. <laughs> you misread things and that can be that, – that's, that's quite embarrassing. And so it's uh, – uh, it's kind of having a bit of a break from technology, uh, and also using it using it smartly, using mm. it, you know. Uh, so um, I, I have read, I don't know, I've, I've read emails and I've thought I've understood it, and it's really small print, and I've missed a word, maybe a word like not, <laughs> uh, and that doesn't help. That's not that's not good. So maybe people aren't don't uh, maybe people can see better than I can, but. Uh, I, I think the lesson I take from it is you use your technology smartly. Absolutely. It's quite ironic that they're called smartphones, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, they're only smart if you use them smartly, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it also strikes me that, you know, as we move into more of an, an ongoing management versus an immediate crisis you know, that importance of, of actually slowing down. You know, yes. I think for many of us, we have been doing work, you know, anywhere, anytime on the run over our phones. And I think it's really important for us to kind of, as part of this reflection, build in more sustainable ways in which we're going to manage ourselves and others going forward. Spot on. Spot on. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today, Gordon. It's oh, been really you, great having this conversation with you. That's very nice. Th thanks very much. And great to hear what your story is. They're fantastic. Thanks, Gordon. So there you go. Can't you just, the experience and the stories that, that Gordon has told, uh, it just really helps you, doesn't it, to understand just that importance of, of slowing down and being strategic and being thoughtful and gathering up all of those insights that you need to make good decisions. So a very big thank you to Rachel O'Connor for asking the questions this week and also for Gordon. Uh, for being behind the microphone this time and sharing his wisdom with all of us. A very big thank you, as always, to the team at IPA and also to the Australian Public Service Commission. Uh, fantastic, and thank you so much for your ongoing support. Uh, also important for us to recognise that Sonny Hudson has left our team at Work With Purpose. Sunny played a vital role in the success of Work With Purpose. She was there from day one and has just done such an outstanding job producing Work With Purpose, but also all these fantastic events that IPA holds regularly. Sunny has been a ray of sunshine, so great to work with, and uh, Sunny, Best of luck to you in the important work that you're now going to be doing at Prime Minister and Cabinet working on the APS Enterprise Comms project. So best of luck to you and thank you so much for uh, working, you know, the, pr the privilege and the pleasure of working with you for so many years. That's it, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of Work With Purpose. Thanks again for your time and attention, but for the moment, it's bye for now. Bye.
Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. Thank you.